The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from the Movement. part one of a brand new series that we are call, we are calling marked and i want to talk to you today about a few marks in fact when you look at me or if any of you know me well um what are some marks that you might see Somebody is laughing. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Aside from being just an incredibly beautiful, kind, compassionate, incredibly just wonderful to be around a person, what are some of the marks that you might see? You know, I, I went to get my nails done the other day, and I was sitting getting my nails done and getting a pedicure. It was amazing. And I was sitting there, and the lady that was doing um, my toes was kind of touching my feet, and then she reached up and she patted my, my leg like my calf. And she said, oh, oh, I can't do her accent. What, what's this? What's this? What's this spot? And, and I said, oh, gosh, do I, do I have spot, a spot on my leg? And I started to look down thinking, what could be on me? What, what happened? And, and then I thought, did I bruise my leg and I didn't know about it? And she just kept kind of like lightly touching my leg and going, oh, what is this? Like she was afraid that I had some kind of deathly disease or something like that. And I finally realized this woman was looking at my freckles. And I was like, they're freckles. I, I have lots more. Do you want to see? Like, lo, I, I have like 17 billion, 1400 million. I have so many freckles. I am marked with lots of beauty marks, and we call them freckles. And those freckles just simply suggest that I, despite what color I choose to color it on a given month, I am a natural redhead. And the freckles are simply marks that demonstrate that to anyone that I come in contact with, right? Are you a natural redhead? Yeah, yeah, I I am. What gave it away, right? Freckles, they are marks that accentuate a little bit of information about who I am. And so as we go into this next series, this six-week series called Marked, we're going to be talking about the marks of a Christian, you know, there's an entire chapter in the Bible that is literally labeled the marks of a Christian. And we're going to be talking about what it is to be marked. As a Christ follower, we are to be marked and have something specific about our life that sets us apart to other people. And I'm going to just pause for a moment and read to you the scripture found in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 20, that talks about the marks of a Christian. Romans 12, 9 through 20 says this, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run from dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, but pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Shed tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. 
Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scripture tells us that if your enemy is hungry, go buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good. This is the scripture that demonstrates the marks of a Christian. The marks of a Christian, how we should stand out. If we are a Christ follower, this is, this is what should set our life apart to everybody else. These are the marks of a Christian. As a Christ follower, my life does not just affect me, right? It affects everyone else around me. And so what I want to challenge you with is that the way we live our lives matters, right? Pastor Kerry and I have friends that are pastors all around the nation. It's one of the things that we love to do is, is to build relationships with other pastors who are in this journey and, and in the same season. And we have some very dear friends that this last August, they, they were church planters. And this last August, it came out that he was having multiple affairs. And their church closed down. And they're walking through the process of a divorce. I wish I could say there was reconciliation. And his life affects the life of everyone else around him. Because now as pastors, we've got a mission to say, hey, people make mistakes, but not everybody's going to make the same mistake. You don't have to live in fear. Listen, we are going to serve God with all of our heart. We're going to follow him in everything that we do. But the marks of other Christ followers oftentimes affect us, right? How many of you have ever been to church and just encountered some people that you felt like were so fake and so, in, in lack of better words, hypocritical? Anybody? Has anybody that encounter ever kept you from wanting to go back to church? Anybody? You can nod your head at me a little bit. I got to see you. Our lives affect the lives around us. When our lives are marked as believers, they affect the people that are around us. And it's important how we live our life. That's the reason we're passing this thread throughout the entire room because every single one of us is connected. But then there are those people who leave a mark that is unforgettable. I just was talking with a beautiful friend in our church. Her name is Katie Sanford. And we were talking about what she's doing and who she is. And she's a mom of three amazing little girls. Her husband is a fireman. He is about to be promoted to captain. They live a busy life. She's got a lot in her plate. But you know, her life is marked by self-sacrifice because every other week she comes into the movement church and she serves as a captain in our kids' ministry. And she helps to raise leaders who are pouring into our kids and teaching them about who Jesus is because she decided that her life couldn't just be about her, but it had to affect the people in her world and her life is marked. And it is an example of what God can do in each and every one of us. And that's the kind of mark that we get to celebrate together, right? You see, we are about to start into a brand new uh, challenge and initiative as the movement church. 
We are six weeks away from celebrating Easter. And over the next few weeks, you're going to begin to hear how we as a church can come together and leave our mark upon this region. Easter is the most attended church Sunday of the year. And we are going to work as a church family to leave our mark in this region and to make a difference and to invite our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we do life with to come to church on Easter Sunday and encounter the hope of who Jesus is is. We're going to leave a mark in this region. I just want to jump back into this message. Today, we're going to focus on one specific mark of a Christian. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say to them, be genuine. You got to be louder than that this morning. Be genuine. Right. In the, in the English standard version, that scripture says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. You know, the scripture I read a minute ago in the message version said it like this, and I think it depicted it so clearly. It said, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. How many of you don't want to be around fake people? Anybody? Don't fake it. Love from the center of who you are. Let love be genuine. To be genuine is a mark of a Christ follower. To be genuine is a mark that we want to be evident in our life. So what does that look like? The word genuine in the Greek actually means sincere or undisguised. Sincere or undisguised. You know, I was reading a story and and found out that the word sincere in the English language actually stems from two Latin words. And those Latin words are without wax. It's interesting, huh? Sincere stems from those two words without wax. And I found out that years ago, merchants who used to make pots, if the pots would crack and they would break, the merchants would come and oftentimes the dishonest ones would come in and they would feel, fill the cracks of that pot with wax. And then they would, they would put a glaze over the pot so that you couldn't see it. And they would sell it to unsuspected buyers, right? And the buyers would go home with their pot completely unaware that the pot was useless. The pot literally could not do that which it was created to do. It was a fake. It was an imposter, right? And they would get these pots home and recognize that they couldn't hold anything. And so real and honest buyers, they began to stamp a stamp on their pots. And that stamp said, sincera, sincera, meaning without wax, meaning that you can trust when you purchase this pot that you are getting the real thing. It's without wax. It's sincere. It will not let you down. It will fulfill that which it was created to do, sincera. And I love that story because what a depiction of the word sincere, right? What it is to be without wax, to be sincere, to be the real deal, not, not a duplicate, not something that was just kind of fakely waxed over and sealed over. No, it's sincere. That means it will work. It is the real thing. And when Paul was writing this letter to the Ephesians, he actually was using a word to, he's talking to Christians, to Christ followers. And he's saying, listen, I want you to love one another with a genuine, sincere, authentic, authentic kind of love. And as he was writing this, he used a word that actually meant without hypocrisy, without hypocrisy. All of us know what hypocrisy is, right? Every single one of us has probably experienced or we have given it, right? Are you guys with me this morning? 
Yeah? Okay. Every single one of us understands hypocrisy. Now, we might all know it in different ways. Let me just say, girls, we are the worst at this. Okay? Girls, there's a movie made about this right? Mean girls, right? There's a movie made about how bad girls can be with hypocrisy, being sugary sweet to your face and just plain evil behind your back, right? That is hypocrisy. Guys struggle with it maybe a little bit differently because a guy doesn't feel the need all the time to be sugary sweet to your face. He's just probably not going to talk to you in the first place or make up an excuse to not show up in an event or a party or, or to come in late to church so you don't have to talk to one of our smiling greeters. Maybe take care of the kids in the car and bring them in a little bit later once everybody's gone inside. Why? Because I'm, I'm going to avoid that conversation. Or sometimes, guys, let's be honest, uh, and you've probably experienced this with someone before, guys will, uh, rather than being sugary sweet, they'll just assert their dominance with a, a, a passive, almost patronizing language of, how's it going, buddy? Good job there, chief, right? Has that happened to any of you? You know what I'm talking about, right? And so that is a form of hypocrisy. It's a form of ingenuine type of relationship, ingenuine kind of love. And we're called to show genuine love. In fact, for the past few weeks, we've talked about who we are going to be as a church. And at the Movement Church, we are committed to finding strength through authentic relationships. This is who we are going to be. Listen, we are committed here at the Movement Church to building genuine, authentic kind of relationships. I mean, what you see is what you get kind of people. I don't know about you, but I have had enough fake. I want to be friends with and have community with people who are going to be what you see is what you get kind of people. Real, authentic, genuine relationships. And we're committed to that here at the Movement Church. You know, the rest of that scripture goes on and it says, we will abhor what is evil and we will hold fast to what is good. You know, in authentic relationships at the movement church, we're committed to speaking the truth in love. We're committed to it. We're going to speak the truth in love, but it comes from and stems from authentic relationships. You know, there's a verse in Timothy and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. And it says this, it says the whole point of what we're urging is simply love, love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Listen, this is saying the whole point of it all, everything we're urging is to simply love, but that love should be uncontaminated by self-interest. That's a hard one. A life open to God. It said those who fail to keep this point soon wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but they haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence, right? It's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say, right? Real relationships. We are going to speak the truth in love. But that comes out of real relationships. Because the way we say it, how we say it, and to who we say it actually matters. This scripture is not just telling us to be passive. And it's not telling us to be aggressive in speaking the truth in love. But it's saying in the context of relationships, 
use wisdom, and let's speak the truth in love. We're not going to shy away from the truth. We're going to be bold with it, but we're going to know the right timing and approach. There's another scripture that says, be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove, right? And the way that we share with people the truth is important. Being genuine and authentic is, listen, it's not a license to bulldoze people with your opinion, okay? Being genuine is not a license to bulldoze people with your opinion under the guise of, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. I'm just spitting the truth. That's what I'm doing. You can trust me, I will spit the truth, right? That is not a license to bulldoze people with your thoughts and your opinions, but... There's a sweet spot that's found between being passive and fake and being uh, aggressive and real, right? That sweet spot between being passive and fake and aggressive and real, that sweet spot is known as genuine love. And we have to work at this. We have to learn how to get good at this. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's a good one. It says in verse 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's intense scripture right there. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Hmm. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's something about real, genuine, sincere love. And it stems from our sincere, authentic, real love from God. That scripture told us we love because he first loved us, right? We have the ability to love others because he first loved us. So what gets in the way? What gets in the way of real, genuine love? We do. (laughs) We get in the way. We get in the way of real, genuine love. It's all about us. We screw it up all the time. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, And he said to all, If any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself. Listen, disown himself. Forget. Lose sight of himself and his interests. Refuse and give up himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me, which means cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying also. (sighs) So what's that scripture saying to us? It's saying we get in the way all the time of real, genuine love. Ourselves. We're the biggest hindrance to it. And that scripture tells us clearly we have to die to ourselves, right? We've got to learn to lay down our self-interest, our opinions, and lose sight of ourselves and pick up our cross, which simply is to say, God, I'm going to lay down my opinions, my feelings, and my thoughts, and I'm going to take on yours, right? We've got to learn to do that. There's so many things that present a challenge to being a Christ follower, but the greatest challenge we have is ourselves. It's the greatest challenge. You know, there's this great game that I love to play, love to play, and it's called golf. 
And, you know, I just love to get out on the, the golf uh, rink, <laughs> the golf court, um, right? And I'm going to pick up my Louisville Slugger, and I'm going to hit one out of the park, right? Now, there's this great game. I don't love golf. I do know that it's called a golf green and that this is, I think, a driver. Am I correct? Did I pull the right one out of the golf bag today? Some of you can tell me. Um, my husband loves to play golf. I don't think that I'd be very good at golf because from what I understand, you have to talk really quietly so you don't disturb people. And I don't talk quietly. And from what I understand, you're not really supposed to like talk all the time because it makes people nervous or it's disruptive. And I can't do that because awkward silence stresses me out. <laughs> so... So this example is purely from Pastor Kerry, right? He loves to play golf. In fact, he's playing with some of his friends today. He's going to play golf when he gets back from preaching. And he's going to go out and, and he's going to work really hard to be under par. It's correct, right? Yeah. And he's going to work really hard to improve his game. But the way that he's going to improve his game is not necessarily by learning any kind of new skills in the game of golf. What he has to actually do is unlearn some bad habits. That's the way he's going to actually get better at his golf game. He's not a professional, go professional golfer, but he probably could be if he really worked at it. But he has to really unlearn some bad habits. Because if he can unlearn those bad habits, he can hone in the good habits and actually become a skilled golfer. I think he does a pretty good job, but he says he can get a lot better. So the same thing applies to us in life, right? Sometimes it's not about what new things can we learn so that we can get better. Sometimes it's about what are the areas in our life that we need to unlearn. What are some areas that we've been struggling with that we need to kind of do away with so that we can get better? You know, we, being the biggest inhibitor to what Christ wants to do in our life, ourselves being the biggest problem, we need to unlearn some natural, uh, some natural tendencies we've developed based upon ourselves. Every single one of us struggles with self, with our self taking the highest importance. You know, as humans, I think we're rather consumed with ourselves. In fact, I've done some research. And did you know that as of last night at 10 p.m. on Instagram, there are 235,814,453 hashtagged selfies? Those are just the ones that are hashtagged. That's it. And a year ago... It was only 73,131,475 selfies. Hashtag selfie, right? At that rate, it's growing by like 127% a month. Did you know that every two minutes we take more pictures than all of humanity in the 19th century? Did you know that? Every two minutes we take more pictures than any human in the 19th century. I think it's safe to say that we are slightly obsessed with our selfies. Yeah, we are slightly obsessed with our selfies. And the problem is, and that's another message. The problem is when we see things through the lenses of self, we draw, oh my, the lights on these blue lenses. I can't see anything. 
good point for the message, right? When we fix our attention on ourselves and we put on our great big selfie, look at me kind of glasses, right? We're drawing attention to ourselves. We are maximizing ourselves. But the problem is when we maximize ourselves, we actually minimize others. I literally cannot see any of you right now. I'm not lying. (laughs) I'm scared. I can't see any of you. We minimize others. But when we minimize others, we actually also minimize God. And when we see through these selfie glasses, we see with distorted vision. We can't see clearly. So we can't see clearly how to treat one another. And we can't see clearly how to live lives that are marked by Christ because we're looking through selfie glasses. I'm glad y'all are still there. (laughs) You could have snuck out and I wouldn't have known. Listen, when we look through the lenses of self, we distort what God wants to do in our lives, but also in the lives of others. So what I want to talk to you about for the last few minutes that I have with you today are what are some areas that distort our vision? What are some areas that distort our vision? Because if we can get better in those areas, then maybe we can become a better Christ follower and live our lives truly with the marks of Christ. So four areas that distort our vision and inhibit genuine love. Number one, judgment. Judgment. I looked up the definition of this, and it says a divine sentence or decision. If you sit in a courtroom, a judge passes a judgment. It's a, it's a divine sentence or a decision. But I would dare to say, and if you're taking notes, I would dare to say that judgment is actually arriving at the conclusion of someone's motives. Judgment is actually arriving at the conclusion of someone's motives. You know, in America, we say all the time, uh, don't judge me. I mean, I wrote this last week on my Instagram when I shared about my coffee problems and addictions. And I said, hashtag don't judge me, right? Because we say this all the time. In fact, my five-year-old in the car yesterday said something about some kind of a celebration. And it was confusing. And we all kind of looked at her like, what are you going to celebrate? And she said, don't judge me. She's five. We, we, we almost pulled the car over to like, just like roll. We were laughing so hard. She says, don't judge me because in America, we say, don't judge me, not because of actual judgment, but because we don't want somebody else to tell us their opinions that might contradict what I want to do. Right. Let me be my own person. Right. Let me be my own person. Don't share your opinions. I don't need your opinions. Don't judge me. But that's not truly what judgment is. It's okay for us to have differing opinions than other people, isn't it? It's okay for us to have differing opinions. It is okay that we don't always agree with people. Because listen, you might come in here and you might be ticked off and mad because you had to go to court because you got a ticket for not having your registration updated, for not carrying your license, and for speeding 120 miles an hour down the I-5, right? And you might come in and be all upset. And I might say, that was a really foolish decision, right? Because you were speeding and you didn't get your registration taken care of and you didn't carry your license. That's not judgment, y'all. That's, that's reality. That's just me sharing my opinion. Like, that was pretty foolish, right? But judgment would be me assuming that I understand why you did that. Well, you were just driving fast because you like to show off on the freeway or you didn't renew your registration because you just wanted to show how tough you really are. Whatever. That would be judgment, right? Me judging someone's motives. Someone might look at Instagram and say, they did not like my picture. 
My good friend did not like my picture, and it must be because they are jealous of me. It must be because they just don't like me, and they're jealous that, that I have a boyfriend and they don't, right? I'm judging their motives, right? That must be why they didn't like my picture. Or maybe you look on Facebook and, and you see all of your friends went to a dinner party at one of your good friend's houses, and you go, I did not get invited. I must not have been invited because they don't like me and they don't want me around. Wow, I thought I had real friends, but they must not like me anymore. I'm judging their motive, right? Judgment is judging the motive of someone's heart. And listen, we can't judge the motive of someone's heart. Only God knows our heart. Judgment might be when somebody like texts me or calls me and says, and I, and I miss it. And they go, oh, Megan did not call me back. She must be mad at me. She must be upset at me and think that I'm a terrible person. That's judgment. It's judging the motive of someone's heart. Judgment is what we have got to wipe away of our lenses so that we can see people the way that God sees them. We cannot presume to know the motive of someone's heart. That is not our place. It's okay that we have a different opinion. It's okay that we might have different beliefs, but judgment is when I presume to know the motive of someone's heart. And we've got to get better at that. Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not that you may not be judged. And in an even more descriptive way, the message version puts it like this. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures and criticize their faults. Anybody guilty of that? Are you lying? I'm not judging your motive. I'm just wondering if, you're, if anybody's with me, right? Don't pick on people, jump on their failures and criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part, right? Just live your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor in the context of real, authentic relationships, right? Because when we start to judge someone's motive, that's where we actually cross over into self-righteousness. It's because I think I, I know better than you, and I know why you do what you do. That is judgment. And we've got to clean off those lenses. Judgment can sometimes lead to jealousy, the definition of jealousy is to resent against a person because of that person's rivalry, successes, or advantages. Listen, judgment can sometimes lead to jealousy because when we see someone's success, we question whether or not they really deserve it. Or we say, that's not fair because. Judgment could, or jealousy could be, gosh, why did they get that promotion and I didn't? They have not been at this company nearly as long as I have been. They definitely don't have the skill sets that I have. And judgment would be, I bet they're sucking up to the, to the big guy, to the top guy here. And that's why they got that promotion. That would be judgment combined with jealousy going, why did they get that? And I didn't. Jealousy might be looking at somebody who has, who's pregnant and having a baby and knowing I've been trying to get pregnant for years and it hasn't happened yet. Why does that happen to them and not to me? It's not fair. They've only been married for a short amount of time. Jealousy might be, gosh, why are they engaged in getting married? And I've been in this relationship for like six years already. That would be jealousy. Jealousy says, I can't be happy for you. I can't be happy for you because I don't think that it's fair. Jealousy is looking at other people and just going, hmm, 
It says in James 3:16 through 17, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen, when we allow jealousy in our lives, it, it prohibits us from genuine love. It prohibits us from genuine love because genuine love rejoices with those who rejoice and cries with those who cry, right? Genuine love says, I care about you for who you are. I, I'm excited for you when you're experiencing success, and I'm sad for you when you're down. That is true, genuine love. So jealousy gets in the way of that. And then comparison. That would be another ugly image filter, right? Comparison. Comparison really distorts our vision because it not only makes it hard to love others, but it can make loving ourselves and our seasons and the purpose God created us for challenging, right? There's a, a saying that says comparison is the root of all inferiority. When we compare our lives to others, we are always going to feel inferior. We are always going to feel bad about ourselves because we aren't measuring up to someone else. But God didn't create us to be someone else. He created us to be exactly who we are. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. It robs us of our joy. It robs of, a, of our ability to be genuine and to be authentic and to be real and to show genuine love to those around us because we're constantly feeling bad about ourselves, right? Comparison is the root of all inferiority. It's a dangerous lens to see through. It gets really dangerous nowadays as we have so much social media and we compare our everyday ordinary life to somebody else's highlight reel, right? We look at it and we go, gosh, why am I not experiencing that yet? And we compare ourselves and we feel inferior and we feel like we're not good enough and like we don't measure up and it taints our vision and prohibits us from real genuine love. And the last ugly C would be competition. And competition can stem out of comparison. Because if I feel like I am less than you, then my goodness, I'm going to prove that I'm better than you, right? So competition can come out in so many different ways. And the problem with competition is when we start competing with one another, we actually disrupt the body of Christ. When we start competing with one another, we cause ripples and what God's doing in the body of Christ, because God created each and every person in this room with a purpose. God created each and every one of us with our own lane to run in. And when we start trying to run in someone else's or compete with somebody else, we're going to be frustrated and we're going to have a lack of ability to show genuine love because of competition, ugly ugh, competition. And that can stem from insecurity or pride or both me needing to prove that I'm better than you. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, do nothing out of selfish, um, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, remember that dying to self, but also to the interests of others. Listen, competition is only focusing on me. It's putting on these great big selfie glasses and all I can see is me and I got to be the best and I've got to be ahead and I've got to be better than you are because if I'm better than you are, then I'm stronger than you are and I'm not weak, right? That's what competition does and it distorts our vision. 
We have got to begin to get good at taking off these selfie glasses and dealing with these areas so that we can perfect and we can grow. Just like in the game of golf, we get rid of the areas, the bad habits, the things that we're struggling with so that we can be a better golfer. To get better as a Christian, to grow in our relationship with God, we've got to deal with some of the stuff that holds us back. So which one are you struggling with today? Is it judgment? Is it jealousy, comparison, competitiveness? Maybe, as my husband says, maybe you're all four. You're like, yep, that's me, all four of them, right? Which one are you struggling with today? It's time to recognize it. A couple things to remember about it is that judgment says, I know why you do what you do. Judgment judges motives. Judgment says, I know why you do what you do. Jealousy says, I'm not happy for you. I can't celebrate the great things going on in your life because I don't feel like it's fair or like you deserve it. Jealousy says, I'm not happy for you. Comparison says, I must not be as good as you. I must not be as good as you. Comparison makes us feel inferior. And competition says, I'm going to prove that I'm better than you. So what do you do if you're struggling with these areas? If you're struggling with judgment, I want to encourage you today. Look at yourself. Instead of putting on the great big selfie glasses and trying to look at others, look at yourself. Look on the inside. Go, what are my motives? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Turn that camera right back on yourself, right? And go, why, when I'm looking at others, am I struggling? What's driving my opinions and my decisions? If you're struggling with judgment and you're looking at others and you're constantly finding things to judge, remember judging is not having an opinion. It's judging the motive of someone's heart. If you're constantly judging the motive of someone's heart, it might be time to turn that back around and look at yourself. That's just how we counter it. We go, okay, hold on a minute. What's my motive? What am I feeling? Why am I struggling with that area? And we turn that back around. Maybe you're struggling with jealousy. And really, this has become a root issue in your life. Maybe every time you look at that certain person, that friend, that coworker, that spouse, maybe every time you look at them and you see the good things that are happening for them, you struggle on the inside with why are those things not happening for me? It's not fair. Don't people know who they really are? If you're struggling with jealousy today, I want to challenge you to begin to pray for that person. Begin to pray for that person. Begin to pray that God will bless them. Begin to pray that God will give them favor. Begin to pray that God will make their path straight. Begin to pray that God will do incredible things in their life. Because when we pray for people like that, it's really hard to hold on to jealousy. Maybe you're struggling with comparison. And for you, you need to learn the scripture that's found in Psalm 139, 14, that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Maybe you need to rehearse that scripture in your mind and remember, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me for a purpose. He made me unique. I don't have to be like anybody else. I don't have to have the same success they have. I don't have to have the same materialistic things they have, the same house, the cars, the family, the kids. I don't need any of that because I'm going to run in my lane that God created me for. Maybe you need to memorize the verse in Ephesians 2.10 that says we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God created you 
specifically as you. And you've got to counter those thoughts of comparison with the truth of God's word. And maybe you struggle with competition. And I want to challenge you. You got to begin to recognize that the only person we're competing with here is the enemy. The only person we have to compete with is the enemy. And his goal and his, his purpose is to create division in his church, to create division amongst his people, to get people off track from the purpose that they were called to walk in because then they'll never accomplish the great things that God has for them. The only person we should be competing with here is the enemy. We should be challenging one another with real and genuine love to run the race that God has called us to race, to run in the lane that God has placed us in, to run hard and to run fast and be the best me that God has created me to be. Instead of competing with one another, we've got to begin to fix our attention on the enemy and say, I'll compete with you. I'm going to encourage the people around me to pursue their purpose. I'm going to show genuine love. I'm going to be a real example of Christ, and I'm going to let my life be marked as one who is genuine. I'm going to let my life be marked as one who is genuine. And the best way to do that, sincere love for others flows out of sincere love for God. So my challenge to all of us is, could we take some time this week to really press in and learn who God is? Could we spend some time in his word Could we spend some time in prayer? Could we maybe, instead of the normal music we listen to on our commute, put on some worship music and and just say, God, I want to know you more. I want to fall more in love with you. You fall in love with someone by spending time with them, right? And sincere love for others comes out of a sincere love for God. So I want to challenge us. Let's work. Let's work to be marked by the marks of a Christian. Let's work to show real, genuine, authentic love. And to do that, let's work at falling more and more in love with the God who loves us and created us with purpose. You know, I want to talk for just one last minute to those of you who are here. And you say, that's hard for me to hear. Because I don't feel like God could love me. I'm kind of a mess. The thing I love about God is he's okay with our messes. He just wants us to work at getting better. And maybe you're here today and you've been running from God. Maybe you had an experience with the church that turned you off and made you say, I don't want anything to do with those people anymore. I want to encourage you. It's not everybody. And here at the Movement Church, we're going to work really hard to be genuine and authentic and build real relationships. And you're welcome here. Church is not just a place you attend. It's a place you belong. And if you've struggled and you've been hurt by past experience, Can I just ask you to to give it a chance? To give God a chance to do something real and authentic in your life? If you've been running from God, maybe today is the day to come back. And maybe you're in this room and you've never had a real relationship with God and you've struggled to understand it or maybe even to think that you deserve it. Maybe to you, you feel like there's a gap that just separates you from God and you just can't get past it. And the scripture is really clear that that gap is a sin gap. The scripture says that we've all sinned, every single one of us. We all have, we're all a mess, okay? We're all just a little bit jacked up, every one of us. And that sin, it separates us from God. But because of God's great love for us, it says he, he made a way for us to have relationship with him. And he sent his son Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, to give his life on a cross, to shed his blood as a covering for us, to make a way for us to have a real relationship with Christ. 
It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how much of a mess you are. God loves you right where you are today. In fact, I think that's the reason you're here. It's just so you can remember that. And if you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, can I just challenge you that today is the day? The scripture says all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and then we will be saved. And maybe that's you. Maybe today you just need to make a choice to surrender. So I'm going to ask everyone in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're far from God and you've been running in the opposite direction because of bad experiences, I want to ask you today to pray this prayer with me and just say, God, I'm coming back. And if you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, today is your day. Today is your day right where you're at, in the middle of your mess. He loves you right where you are. You don't have to be perfect. We're just going to work at getting better. So if that's you in the room this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me in your own heart. You don't have to pray out loud. And make a decision today to surrender your life to Christ. All heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, pray with me now in Jesus' name. God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know that you've pursued me even when I've run far away from you. Today, I'm making a decision, God, to surrender my life to you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me on that cross, to pay the price for my sin and my shame. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your freedom. God, today I surrender my life to you. God, let my life be marked by your love. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocbook.com or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Until next time, we're